0: will give you, not very people know
1: this, little hippo kisses. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my Rossifari. Happy New Year, y'all. Welcome to the episode that I can say, with no hesitation, is the best one I have released all year so far on the Safari podcast. Seriously, though, I do hope this year started off in a pleasing manner for you. 2021 is going to be a very cool year for the show, so make sure you're subscribed on whatever app you listen to. And don't forget to check out rossafari.com to learn more about the show. Patreon.com slash Rossifari is the place to support the pod, and there is some merch available at rossafari.redbubble.com. Definitely make sure you're following along at rossafari on Facebook and especially on Instagram, as that is by far the easiest way to connect with the show and with me directly. It's also where I find some guests and ask some opinions about things, so definitely make sure you're given a follow. I am really excited to start this year with three episodes coming to you from the Fort Worth Zoo in Texas. The Fort Worth Zoo was recently voted the number one zoo in the country by the readers of USA Today, and frankly, I can see why. It's an amazing facility and is going to be getting even more impressive over the next few years. You've heard guests talk about master planning on a few episodes already. But Fort Worth is doing it right. They are in the middle of a four-phase, $100 million master plan, and it is incredible. Today, you'll get to hear all about the first phase, the African savanna section, which features a huge 360-degree multi-species exhibit at its heart. It is a sight to behold, and I'm excited for you to hear more about it, including the logistics of how a 360-degree exhibit works in the interview, which is with Neil Jones, an African hoofstock keeper at the zoo. Neil is incredibly passionate, and his story is really inspiring. He also knows a ton about his individual animals, and I promise you're going to fall in love with some rhinos and hippos by the end of this episode. You'll also get to learn about an endangered chicken. Who knew? Before I get to the interview, I need to take a minute to say thank you to the incredible communications and PR team at the Fort Worth Zoo. Avery Elander was my contact, and she was amazing. She set up all three interviews, making sure I got a variety of topics, animals, and personalities. You are in for three very different and yet all very cool episodes. She also started my day by taking me on a tour of the zoo, which was incredibly informative and included feeding a baby giraffe. She also took care of a bunch of little details like making sure I had an awesome lunch and even recommending an incredible takeout place for dinner. And boy, it did not disappoint. Thank you so much, Avery. In the next two episodes, I'll be sure to tell you more about my trip to the zoo and some of the cool experiences I got to have while there. For now, though, it's time to get to my interview with Neil Jones, African hoofstock keeper at the Fort Worth Zoo. All right, so tell me who you are, where we are, and what you do here. So my name is Neil Jones. I'm a African uh, hoofstock
0: keeper here at the Fort Worth Zoo, and I've been here since 2017. And I started in the uh, nutrition department. Couldn't get on anywhere else. Nutritionists took me in.
1: Interesting. I'm I'm excited to talk about that. But let's start with the uh, the Africa section. Um, pretty new, pretty new area. Yeah. So when
0: I started here, uh, I was in the old section. So the Rhino Barn and the old Giraffe Barn were still up, but only animals that when I started, that I, I was taking care of were the black rhinos and the reticulated giraffes. And I was in that area for I – started, I started the first day of spring break, so that was a wild time. <laughs> um, we had just one little office, and we all fed all the animals in the morning together, and then we got split up. And I remember working my first day was with Shauna, my supervisor, and it rained the morning before – and I was picking up poop, you know, like we do every day. And I pick up this big pile of rhino poop, and I drop it, and it splatters all over her legs, all over her new shoes. <laughs> oh,
1: no! And she
0: had just wore shorts that day. So, yeah, my first impression with my supervisor was getting poop all over her.
1: <laughs> Amazing. That's uh, that's quite the story. Um, so, this new exhibit area, um, I just have to tell you, I got to tour, tour the zoo earlier, and um, wow, wow. Yeah. It is, it is 360 degrees. It's gorgeous. And you can. it's a mixed species uh, exhibit. Yeah. Um, Man, yeah, gorgeous doesn't even do it justice. It's yeah. incredible. So tell me about some of the species that are in there. Yeah, so
0: it's really cool. Um, when I first started, I didn't really understand how all the animals were going to work together and shift around and, and, and get along together. So starting off with the big ones, we have reticulated giraffes. Those are the big main you see when you come in. But we also have um, – lesser kudu. Those are the brown with the white stripes. We have two springbok, a male and a female. And then we have one adger gazelle. Uh, his name is Negan. He's quite a character some days. Um, <laughs> and then from there, we move over to the birds. So the pink-backed pelicans, they were in with the giraffes before, in the old exhibit. So they get along great. They have we have, The keepers kind of call it the pelican hill. It's the hill they hang out on all the time. There's a big log up top. They love hanging out there in the Serengeti pool. And then you move over to the Abyssinian ground hornbills, which are two cool, really pairs. Is one name is Crow, and the other is uh, Freckle. Freckle's the male. He's all black with a red on his pouch, and Crow is the female. She's all black with no red on her on her pouch on her neck. But uh, Freckle will pick up all these leaves, almost like little trinkets that he wants to show off to his to his lady friend, and he'll walk around with them until she either recognizes him or takes some leaves from him, but he also will pick up all the mice he gets in the morning and shove 10 in his beak and walk over there and like, look what I have. <laughs> so he's really cool. And then we used to have, um, Corey Busters in there. Um, but they are not now out there at a different, a different exhibit, And we now have, four really cool cape vultures and they're doing something really cool right now they're building nests two of them they're both all, all males two of them are building a nest over by this waterfall and if you go in the front by the middle of the feeding area two are building a nest in the front in this little boma area and it's really cool to see I'm actually you see bird nests but one that's as you know as big as i am is really neat to see
1: <laughs> wow that's that's incredible yeah um and all of these animals are able to interact freely and stuff?
0: Yes. So in the middle uh, part, the main part when you walk into, all those animals are interacting with each other and everybody shifts in. Some of the birds, uh, oh, sorry, I almost forgot, the two ostriches, Ruby and Little Bird. Ruby's always going to peck your keys. She likes to peck your earlobes and the tops of your ears. <laughs> she stole my phone from me before. <laughs> yes, she is a unique character. Little Bird has been around for a long time. She's been there with uh, the dress before, and there used to be a big bird and a little bird. But Big Bird was old, and she, he or she, pretty sure it was a she, passed away before I was even... Working here. And that's just in the middle. Then there's, you know, the rhinos, hippos, flamingos. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll get to all okay, of that. Yeah, that, yeah.
1: that I, there's so much cool stuff in this area. It's gorgeous. Um, But I just – I can't stress enough how cool it is seeing this exhibit that is not only a mixed species exhibit, but that you can literally walk 360 degrees around and see it from all perspectives.
0: Yeah. I, I've been to other zoos and um, I well, – haven't grown up be wanting to become a zookeeper, so I didn't get to go and experience a lot of zoos. I mean, just a few, but the ones I have, it's always you know you walk in, it's in front of you. There's a barrier, and you you fall that down. But this is like a big amphitheater, theater. Like you walk into it, and you you know it's just like it just opens up. it's like it's you don't feel confined. You feel like you're opening up in, like a big breath of fresh air when you walk
1: over there. That's what I really like. There's no restriction to it just kind of flows. That is amazing. Um, but it it does beget a question that I have then. So yes. if you have an exhibit that is 360 degrees around, how do you shift the animals off exhibit?
0: So that's a good question. So when we first started, that was the question everybody wanted to know. How are we going to get these guys off exhibit? So um, when you first walk in, if you go to the right and you go past the um, – uh, feeding area, and you're going to come up to It looks like a little rainforesty section where the, all the trees are really closed in, uh, and there's a big jeep, and right past that, there's these two big doors on the left and two big doors on the right. In the morning, before anybody gets here, and then the park is open, we open these doors, we close them down, so we, sh- we shift giraffes over the public path, so I, when I first started, I was like, "How are we are we gonna build a tunnel? Are we how are we getting these guys over?" And like, "Oh no, we're gonna." When the the head uh, the curator now, uh, Kurt, super awesome, wonderful uh, guy. He was like, "No, we're gonna shift them across the the public path." I was like, "Oh, so we just close those doors and it works out great. They shift across there." It Took a while to get everybody used to it, but once they get used to it. And the uh, once we hear the doors clink together, the giraffes know exactly what's going on. And they're right there ready to go. Same thing with the hoofstock and the birds as well.
1: Nice. So when the doors open for each section, do they then block off the main path so they can't just like take off running through the zoo?
0: Exactly. Okay, so yeah, so exactly. Yeah. Sense. So but now every once in a while if say something's going on during a procedure or if we're just running a little behind, we'll have to call security since the park is already open. So, hey, we're gonna close the main path, we're gonna put giraffe and hoofstock out. And so that's really cool. We don't always want that to happen because you can get distracted and giraffes can be like nervous because there's new people there. But for a little kid to see a giraffe shift across the path, and all you see is their head come above you. <laughs> and a lot of times they'll stop and like reach over to get a little piece of browse or a little piece of tree limb that's still staying in there. I, I don't know. I think that's one of the coolest things that you told me only happens a couple of times
1: a year if we get behind or stuff like right. that. So it's really cool. That's amazing. And then... That also means that all day, as people are walking that path, they're walking where giraffes and hoofstock are walking. I mean, giraffes are hoofstock, but you know what I
0: mean. Yeah, exactly. That's incredible. I know. It's really cool. We always got to clean the path up so it looks nice so people don't walk in the poop.
1: that's wow what a what an innovative and awesome idea i just i think that's incredible yeah i um unlike you i have been to a lot of zoos i think i'm at 137 right now amazing and i cannot think of ever seeing a 360 degree exhibit except for something like a sea lion tank or something small but like a big section of of africa or whatever yeah I, i i can't yeah, no, I can't. I can't think of anything like it. It it blew my mind today, and I mean, look, I love giraffes and I love African hoof stock and stuff, but you see them everywhere. Yeah, it has been a long time since I have had my mind blown by, <laughs> by a draft or whatever. But yeah, that was beautiful, very cool.
0: Thank very you great. very much. And a lot of that accounts to the uh, one of the the head guys that runs all the landscaping. He does an amazing go- job. His name is uh, Nate. He, him, and his team. Are on top of it. If you ever need anything, landscaping problems, we have we a have problem with uh, sprinkler heads or any kind of, where the draft uh, are always walking, we need to get some dirt in there. They are always on top. That's what keeps it so beautiful. It's cause, yeah, they have such a touch to it. It makes it look so nice.
1: That is amazing. And that's, I think, something, you know, I've never even thought of that. I try to talk to all different people at zoos, and I've never thought of talking to, like, ground screw before. Mm-hmm. and. Wow, what an oversight on my part that that will that's, have to be a future episode. That's amazing.
0: That's what really. That's what that's what him working close with everybody and the curators and working with what you know giraffes have a specific amount of um of uh, tree species they can eat from. So right, making right. sure that the you know that we don't put anything toxic because you know we put different things you know that are they look nice but not necessarily giraffes can eat them. So it's
1: really nice to have him there
0: and work close with him
1: and make it look so beautiful. That's awesome. It yeah it it is really stunning. Um, cool. So. You said that you haven't been to, like, too many zoos or anything, and yeah. that you didn't grow up wanting to be a zookeeper, so how did you get here? Tell me your journey.
0: Well, I, when I, I grew up in a really small town in uh, Lake Whitney, Texas, and I didn't know any zookeepers. I didn't, I knew, I had been to the, Fort zoo when I was a kid, there's a picture of me riding the train, and <laughs> I had been to the Dallas Zoo as a kid, and and i have been to San Antonio Zoo, but all this was really kid, really young, and I didn't have any friends that wanted to be a zookeeper, I didn't really know. How how you did that? I didn't know anything. So um, I grew up loving animals because we grew up on a on a ranch and a and a farm, um, you know, raising cows and um, uh, like having a little garden when I with my grandparents and just at a young age, I just was taught to respect animals and to you know to to always try to do everything you can to save them or or whatever. And that kind of grew. And as I went through high school and and um, I got into, into college, I went to Texas a and University, and I got a degree in wildlife fishery sciences. And still there, I didn't know any zookeepers, didn't, never met anybody. Uh, and I had known one person, uh, but she seemed like she had it all together. And I was like, there's no way I can do that. <laughs> so I seem, you seem like you know everybody. You're doing internships. You're doing all these things. And I got to go on a, um, a study abroad. And when I was there, and that I got to do field research. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. I got to, you know, measure land crabs and their claw size between male and female. I got to do coral bleaching stuff and wow. research with that. And we ran quadrats and all this thing. And I was doing photography. And I loved doing that. And I was like, wow, I could, I could do this. And then I graduated and I was like, I don't know if I want to go to grad school. I can't find anything I wanted to do. And, uh, but I'd, before I had um, talked about like one and two, do conservation. I wanted to like look at how you built um, enclosures in zoos and how to make them better, or like you know how how they build them, how they're small or if they're big or, or what was going on with that. And that always kind of stuck in my brain. And um, I right after I graduated, I took a hard right turn and went up north to Idaho, and I lived on the river and worked as a photographer. Um, for a cascading rafting kayak, a little uh, because a big kayak and rafting company, and that was really cool. That built my confidence up. I Was like, oh, I can, I can go out, I can do new thing, I can do something like this. Came back and uh, scanning that job board, just kept looking and looking. I was like, what can I do? What can I do? And I was like, oh, I've always wanted to do something with zoos. From like, it started in college. I was like, well, what do I? How do I do that? And ran across internship. I was like, what's well, internship? No one's ever talked to me about that. And internship is what everybody, almost every single keeper you're gonna find here, and, uh, has gone through an internship. And I applied to one random place up up north of Nitton called Shark Rosa Wildlife uh, Ranch, and uh, they called me and said, "Do you want to come up here and tour around?" I was like, "I don't know." I, I'll oh, yeah, I'll come up there and look around. I was, I was nervous, so went up there, and it was a lot different than than I thought. It was a uh, more else. It's a small zoo. I mean, the zoo is more like a wildlife ranch. Um, It was more outside. It's a little different than what I I was expecting. And I had been needing to get a job to make a thing called money. I didn't have a lot of that. (laughs) Uh, And uh, I about, you know, wear it out my welcome at my parents' place. So I I was supposed to get a job at Carvana. And I was like, I don't really want to do that. So uh, I was like, well, I want to jump on this. And the internship was – uh, sixty hours a week, six days a week. You get one day off. Um, you get paid. A, no, you get a stipend of one hundred fifty dollars a month. Oh, and you get to live there. And I was like, and my, well, really, my my uh family, my dad and my um mom and my girlfriend at the time, um uh was pushing like you should like you should really like what's it like you should go. I was like, okay, you know what, I'm gonna I'm to go. So, turned out to be a great decision. Wonderful time over there. A lot of hard work. Uh, it was um. Waking up the middle of the night to feed this baby alpaca, um, waking up early, going out when it's because it, I didn't realize how much it froze up. You know, I'm from down a little bit further south, but above Denton it freezes every once in a while. So all the water would freeze, and we and I worked with a wide range of, of animals from from um, red kangaroos, eastern gray kangaroos, to dromedary camels, to um, uh, ringtail lemurs, to miniature goats, miniature cows, all kinds of Uh, different things they had uh, uh, north american black bears they taught me how to i really learned there i thought i I thought i knew how animals worked and, and you think but i just knew livestock so there i learned how like how to anticipate their reaction or like how you know different animal has different um characteristics like they all have their own little personality and some work better than others work in different situations that's what i really learned there and i learned how to give um public speaking was a big, was a big deal there. Talking, um, giving, um, chats and things like that. Cause you were such a small area, you had to do your own chats. There was like seven keepers in the whole thing. So that was really cool. And getting that, I, went, I had to made some great friends and done some wild things, which was cool because it was small. So you got to do different, different things. You really necessarily wouldn't do it in a big, big zoo. And then I got to, Go to Fossil Rim. Have you ever heard of Fossil Rim before?
1: My girlfriend is a fourth-year vet student currently doing an externship there. I, I'll be there for the first time in two days.
0: Well that you're going to love it. Fossil Rim wait. is gorgeous. It's a 2,000-acre, like almost like Safari Park, but they do a lot of conservation work. They do a bunch of really cool things, but they work you really hard over there. So there was upkeep up, – I'm sorry, upstairs. Like upgrade, I got two days off. I got three hundred dollars stipend. Ooh. Yeah, and I got to pick my days off because I was the first intern. I was like, "What well, hell? This is pretty nice." <laughs> but I did have to, did do something different. I worked with the Atwater Prairie Chickens, and they run so it's, it's so it's a small um, department, and they usually the interns really help push that thing during the summer because and they release all all the chicks in the, back into the wild at the end of the year. So, okay. So
1: is this like a conservation program then yes. for them? Okay. Are they yeah. an endangered chicken?
0: Yeah. They are the, I want to, don't quote me on this, but I want to say they are the most endangered bird in Texas.
1: Wow. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I, did not know that. You should look them up. They're really oh, I'm going to. They're really I'm unique
0: fascinated. birds because they they have a really cool mating uh, ceremony where they they blow up their I forget their I was called going to call their cheeks. And they stick up their little pinnae feathers and they stomp on the ground, it makes like a thumping noise, and they go, and you can't hear it because it's all behind the scenes. So you never let anybody back there. But when they're out there during breeze season, it sounds like some like a bunch of little faint trumpets are blowing, oh, wow. and the wind blows through the flights. That's where the the male uh, and adult and female adult birds are kept. And It sounds like little, little I don't know. To me, it sounds like a bunch of little trumpets going <laughs> back and forth, and they'll make like you should look them up, and they're really cool. And it's if you look into it a little further, they they say that some of the Native American Indians used their dance like they're little stomping their feet and their in their and their cheeks as some of their some and in, to incorporate into their dances as well.
1: Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um I'm not going to lie, when I found out I was speaking to uh, an African uh hoofstock keeper, mm-hmm. I did not expect to be completely enchanted by a story about chickens. Yeah. But I, <laughs> there it is.
0: I know, I Amazing. wasn't e- I wasn't either. I was <laughs> like um very chickens like yeah, but Foster Room was such a good facility. ADA accredited. Right. I was like I can't pass this up. I have to go out there and I got to sleep we could live there. And um it was kind of a different setup because you lived in the park. Like uh, other place you lived you lived in the park, but not in the animal area. So I lived in where the wildebeest and the black buck and the ostriches all roam through. You'd wake up, there's a little fence around your uh building, and then as soon as you step across Cattle Guard, you're out there with them. So right, you couldn't right. really go and like I'm gonna go walk around the field. No, because there's <laughs> uh animals out there gonna get you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's really unique, and I would go visit my uh, girlfriend, now my, now my fiancé, but I drove a, a, kind of a louder truck, I, so I had creep in in the morning, lived in a safari park, I would have turn my truck off and glide down the hill, go across the category, and, and just quietly, because I didn't want to wake everybody up in the morning, so that was always a unique time to do that, too. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. Um, so then after that, were you finally ready to start earning more than $300 a month? Been, well, I was ready to start earning more than that like two <laughs> internships ago.
0: But And you meet all everybody you live with as an intern. And right. you hear, oh, I've done four. Oh, I've done three. I'm like, you've done four? Uh, how many do I? So I um, applied to a much different Positions the zoo and um, the nutrition department gave me a call, and San Antonio Zoo and Colville Zoo called me, and I talked uh, inter- internship inter- um, applications with them and talked with them on the phone, and Fort Worth Zoo zoos where, wa- where I wanted to be. It was close to my, an hour away from my family. It was where my uh, girlfriend's living at, the, at, at the, in Broison, was right where I live now, so it was perfect. Everything was working out. I was like, oh man, if I can get this. And I, you know, went in there, and they put you in a small room, and they put the the curator, the head person, the whole department is in there with you, the manager of the department, and the lead keeper of the department, all in this room. That's a quarter size of this room. I was like, well, hell? This is intimidating. <laughs> and everybody's wearing this uniform. I'm dressed like in really nice shirt and slacks and shoes. And I was like, I feel out of place. Um, but it was great. They're super, super awesome. Really nice. I had like it an interview went great. And I was like, I hope I can get this. because This would be awesome. I get paid real money. i can have a check now, not just a stipend. <laughs> and uh, I got the job there. And, Amazing. Uh,
1: so let's talk about that job for a minute. What do you do in the nutrition department?
0: Okay. So in the nutrition department, they have a bunch of different people from a bunch of different backgrounds. They don't necessarily are a lot of zookeepers coming in there, but it's a great place to get in and to get experience working at a zoo. And then you can just move laterally over into a Zookeeping position. Not everybody does that, but that's what I wanted to do. Right, right. And that's what I told them when I first got there. I "I want to be a zookeeper. I would like to maybe, you know, within a year or two or three, whenever a position comes available. And you start off uh, making the two basic diet preps. The two, two easiest ones, well, to them, they're easy. Uh, the fish diets and the meat diets. Those are like the bulk of meat diets all go in the line, so you're handling meat. You got to go into the th- room, freezer, which is negative 17 degrees. You pull all your meat out and everything. I remember the first time I went in there, I was with a guy, I forgot his name now. He's not there anymore, but he was like, I was like, oh, do we need a jacket? He's like, oh, no, we'll be in there in just a couple minutes. I was like, a couple minutes? Oh, yeah, that sounds easy. And you're grabbing these, they call them logs. They're just big uh, things of frozen meat. And with He's like, oh, yeah, I should grab my hand. I don't know what, where he grew up, but it was such a lie. I was freezing cold. My hands were frozen to these log meat things, putting in this thing, weighing them out. I, after that, I wore coveralls, jackets, everything. But you start from there, and then you go on to food run, and you deliver all the food to the entire zoo in the morning from, like, you get there at 7, deliver food from 8 to, like, 10 o'clock. And you make all this, everything, every single day. You make everything the day before. And some diets you make two or three days ahead. And it's just a unique way to see the entire zoo and to meet all kinds of different people. And that's what really helped me get into the position I am now.
1: That's awesome. Very cool. Networking is so important. Yes, exactly. Um, Very cool. So you were basically a chef. For the zoo. That's, you know what? Yeah. I
0: was a, I was a chef making I was making really bad cuts on meat and, and produce. Yeah. <laughs> Some people actually were chefs or worked in a restaurant and had uh, uh, that background. They're much better at handling knives and much quicker than I was. And that job is a very fast-paced um, get thing. We have to get this stuff done. You can't like, oh, we'll push it off till tomorrow. No, because we have to deliver it in the morning. Right. So that was a really like, um, this is how we do it. This is how fast it needs to be done. Let's go get it done.
1: So it's just a really fast-paced job. Cool. And then a uh, keeper position opened up.
0: Um, I yeah. So again, I don't know if you know. I'm kind of a talkative individual. Um, with, and I got on a route, a route called the Hot Shot, which is a guy who delivers. Dot di- you. They, they call it. like say you screw up a diet. They call it and say, "Hey, we we got um the di- diet delivered in the wrong area. Can you come fix it?" So I'll go out and. Uh, Grab the diet from the wrong. See, I got delivered to OLT and he's to go to uh, Parrot Paradise. I'll take that and pick. So you get your media keeper talk to people, and I wouldn't know it. I ran into a keeper who's been here for a long time. His name is Ellis. He has a nickname called Uncle Jungle. <laughs> Great guy, wonderful. I mean, he, he's super, super wonderful guy. He was like, uh, he whispered to my. He's just like throughout. You know, we're they're expanding African Savannah and in nutrition, you were in the back. You don't really talk to a lot of people. I didn't. I know we knew there was a expansion going on, but I didn't know when it was going to open. And he said, like, "Oh, we're going to be coming up. You know, it won't be very long. You should go talk to uh, Kurt, who's the head curator now." Um, but he never I, I never saw him. But so I saw the supervisors, uh, Shauna. And every time I would deliver stuff to Adventist Savannah. I would make sure and stop and talk to any and every keeper I could run into in that area. I was like, I'm Neil Jones, well, I I'm the nutrition, I would look, you know, come this. And they called me before they opened up the position to the um AZA website. So I got to apply before everybody else did. Wow. And that's what that's what that's kinda how I think I got in because I got my name in there. And then um my curator of the nutrition department, uh, Anne Ward, um, and Julie, who was the manager over there, gave me recommendations toward to Shauna saying I was you know a good worker, all this thing. So I got lucky there from working with you know, or you know, putting the time and the nutrition and which helped me propel me into having uh, savanna Savannah.
1: That's very cool. And and you know, first of all, kudos. Thank because you. no, that's really cool to to be able to earn a position like that, not based on, you know, I mean yeah, you had a couple internships and stuff, but yeah. like you said, you hadn't done four or five Exactly, yeah. But and also working hard, but also just for having, I think one thing that i think a lot of people struggle with in getting to the place they want to be in life it can be zookeeping it can be being a musician it can be being anything is uh struggling to understand that you you're gonna have to you know do some stuff you don't want to do yeah and i can imagine that being in a freezer at seven o'clock in the morning and then cutting meat and and being at a zoo but not really with the animals like you want to be would be really hard. and I think a lot of people would take that time to do a um do the job halfway, yeah, and you didn't and it earned you into what you are doing now. so you know, seriously man props that's really cool. I appreciate it man
0: I just well, I had a goal and I never I mean I've had goals before, but this was like a really big deal and I was yeah. trying to get my life together. I was like i want I want to you know I want to start a life in this in this part of Texas so, what do I have to do? Well, I need to become a zookeeper. How do I do that? Well, I don't know. But I was like, if I can get nutrition, if I can maybe work hard and get a – someone will recognize me, or make a position may open up, and that's what happened. And it's it was really cool. Nutrition was a good was a good place to start. They were They they like it's either you make it or break it in there. Like a lot of people, they, a lot of people come through there and leave because they don't. They think right. it's a different. They think, oh, we're going to feed the animals. It's not what you do. You you make the food. You deliver the food, and then you go make more food. So it's it was good i I liked it um uh and i just i always tell people it's a lot of you gotta have a lot of hard work and a little bit of luck you get the luck in there and that's that's all that's that's how i I got up there very cool
1: that is that is awesome um and so now you're you're in this awesome area and uh we already kind of talked about the main exhibit but tell me about some of the other uh the other areas and animals that you're taking care of Okay, cool. So uh, one of my favorite areas uh, is the
0: hippo uh, exhibit. The black rhino exhibits are also really cool. But I when I first got into Savannah, there was um, three keepers there and plus me. So there's four of us. And no, there actually, there's another one, five, but I was the only scuba diver they had. And I was like, I wonder if we're gonna dive in that hippo pool. And I was like, Oh, I just kept pestering my supervisor hey shauna we gonna go in that pool we're gonna go in that pool how are we gonna clean it what are we gonna do and then i I wore down and we were cleaning the indoor pool with a big vacuum system and like hey i got a guy who's been like annoying my ear off about getting in this pool he can help come you like you were cleaning an indoor pool which you just stand and, and vacuum and i started doing that and then um they were trying to get another of our keepers, a scuba diver, trained. I was like, "I'm already scuba certified. I can get in there. I promise I can do it." Um, so they were like, "Okay." So as we got going and we moved all of our animals over, um, we had to um, we had to, we actually had to put buckets of poop in the pool to get the bacteria. That we needed to keep the water and the fish and everything in there to, to run as a system to be to be sure, healthy. Right, yeah. Right, yeah. So I didn't wasn't there for all of that. I got to do a couple poop drops in there, <laughs> but I didn't do a whole bunch of it. Uh, all a lot of the keepers I did, so I didn't see it all go in there. But when we got down to it and we had this big filtration system and it was supposed to clean, we weren't supposed to go in the pool, but like once a month or something like that, you know, things change. Operation systems are different. Um. Turns out we were supposed. We need to go in after we talked to uh, Vicky. You, you met Vicky earlier, right? Uh, and then what they have many times they dive in their pool. How uh, much you know poop and stuff we had in our pool. They're like we should probably dive three times a week. So went from not diving very much at all to diving a lot. And I was like, well, okay, here we go. I got the scuba certification. I had to get checked off through Robin, who is the um, she is uh, almost a master diver. She's one that checks, kind of runs all the scuba diving. And the very first time I got in the pool. Never been cleaned before. I mean, it cleaned itself. The water was was clean, right, right. but there was a lot of material at the bottom, and uh, we weren't running the vacuum system because it wasn't perfected yet. We were netting up poop in a big in a big net you'd have at a pool, and I would bring it to the surface, and someone would grab the net and put it in a trash can. And we did that for months, and um, that. Sounds nasty, but I liked it. I loved it. I love getting in the pool and I love cleaning all this stuff up because I was like the only one that could do it. And I re- and it was like no one could not could t- contact you or, or get a hold
1: of you there. And then, well, hold on, I have to ask you a question before yes, you go on. Sorry, no, no, I, I appreciate all that you were saying, but um, how like are you completely covered when you scuba dive?
0: I yeah, I mean it's not like I guess I haven't explained the way hippo poop is. Hippo poop it looks like um chopped up hay. Like it's not nasty. It's not like anything you would think of. Yes, I'm I'm wearing a wetsuit, but I mean I have a regular. I mean I wouldn't drink the water uh, if that's what you're saying. And you take your goggles off, you're gonna get a little bit of poop water. But you, but we always shower. We have to shower afterwards because you could have you could you kill E. coli or anything like that. But we have, we also take measurements and readings of the pool to make sure the bacteria isn't too high or like that. So it, it, there's a level we have to go through. I think it's 350 is what it is is what. We can dive in, and um, if you do the the Trinity River, I think they measured it, and it was like eight ninety. So whatever you know, we, our pool is much cleaner. And then if right. you ever go in in the morning, if you ever get lucky to go in before everybody gets there, and the hippos just go out, the pool is is a thing of beauty. It's just crystal clear blue. It's heated, so I mean it's still cold to me, but it's it's in the winter. This, fog the steam rolls off the sun comes through it's very it was only a handful of us that's seen what it looks like underwater when the sun comes through there so it's a u- unique area
1: wow you uh you 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 really do take a lot of pride in your work well I, lo- I cool. love that pool man <laughs> that's that's awesome most most keepers would be like, "I love the hippos, but you're like that pool
0: <laughs> I mean I do love the hippos I love I'm the hippos, sure. but sure. I love i mean i wasn't I didn't get to do a lot of stuff with the hippos when I first again, I was still new, right, right. but the pool, no one else had really done. it was just me in there, so no,
1: that's was, really cool. Yeah. I always say um and my listeners know this, but finding a niche. Is so important, and that's it's kind of what this podcast is, is you know, being. um But finding a niche and filling it, and and making something that is that you saw as a need, and then that is your own. Man, you're right. There's there's not much of a better feeling than that. I totally get it. I'm still gonna laugh a little bit because you're diving in poop, but I totally get. it <laughs> It's come a long way now, because everybody can
0: clean the rounder yard, and everybody can clean the draft yard, and a lot of people are better at. Doing those things than I am, but not very many people can out clean me in that pool, though.
1: That's awesome. So, why don't you tell me about the uh, the hippos that, that you're cleaning the pool for? Okay, so we have three hippos. We have Bubbles. Uh,
0: she's the youngest. She's 26 years old. She's 2,600 pounds. She is a star. Like, if you have food and you want her to do something, she does whatever you want. She is like, wants attention. She will move anywhere you want her to go. She'll shift anywhere you want her to shift into. And even, even if it's a new area and somewhere it's kind of nervous, nervous. Can be like if say if it's a small um, between the hallway that she was first going to she did it with no problem, uh, and then we move over to the two girls I work with. I'm the, one of the primary trainers for uh, Daisy and Jonesy. They were in the uh, elephant area before elephant crew took care of them. They were in an old uh, older pool, a field pool. Now they're in you know the new pool they have. That's um, Daisy is 36 and Jonesy is also 30s. I want to say she's yeah, same age. Daisy is uh, three thousand. Two hundred and fifty pounds and Jonesy is four thousand two hundred and fifty six pounds. She's a big girl. So uh males can be close to eight thousand pounds, but you don't see very many females being as big as she is. She looks like a just a big round submarine, is what she is. (laughs) And she's at healthy weight. She's not overweight. She looks yeah, she's at a good weight. Um Daisy is very nervous. She doesn't do things by herself first. She wants Jonesy to go ahead, and then Daisy follows. And she also has a little her eye on the left side kind of bulges out. So I think her vision isn't the best on the left side, and she gets kind of nervous. But she is always up for a training session. So she loves to target. She loves to move around, and she will give you—not um, very many people know this—little hippo kisses on your hand. Yeah, it's really—yes, oh. it's really adorable. That's amazing. Elephant team knows about it, but not everybody else really knows about it. Um, and Jonesy isn't the biggest. She is more like, uh, I can come train. I'll take some treats. But I'm going to go over here and just slowly go over here. Daisy is more quick at getting around. But um, when I got them uh, in the new area, everything was not scary. Um, they wouldn't come out of the pool. We couldn't get them to shift just one stall over. We have two big pools inside. It took a lot of, of work and just constantly messing with them. We had to do a, a thing where we would come in at 8 o'clock. Now, now we come at 7. We come at 8. The first thing we would do is, before checking on anybody else, we would go into the hippo barn, feed Daisy and Jonesy, and a different stall. We'd make them get other pool and come into a rhino stall, which is just across, right across the pool to get them coming up every morning routine. You know, the routine. Every, and then they got to, oh, this is what we do. This isn't scary. And after that, things just kind of worked their way on up. So, but they're really cool, two big, beautiful girls.
1: That's amazing. It's, it's so hard to think of a 4,000 pound scaredy cat. But yeah, it's incredible. I know. But it's also so great that you're working on it and making things better. And I love that. That's so cool.
0: It's like a. It's. It looks. She looks like a Ford Ranger walking around her stall. Like that's that's the size she is. She really. She's your head is massive. And if you if you ever want to see some of the training or some of the stuff we done, we did um, with Avery, we did a, a hippo takeover day. Oh, it's on nice. the Facebook Zoo's website of like me in the pool doing training sessions. I've uh, got a GoPro footage of above like uh, overhead shot of how they're walking through their scale training we've done because before they have never been weighed in their entire life. Because seriously, well, wow, they could, we couldn't weigh them on the when we gonna put them on the elephant scale. That wasn't really us it wasn't it wasn't set up
1: for it. Gotcha. Okay. So
0: when we got over there, there was a rhino scale and they had to go into this. Quite narrow section, but it was it's open. It just pipes up and down, so they can see, but they have to have it so small so they can't turn around or hurt themselves. So getting them to walk through that area at a gingerly pace and stop was a big deal. And now they can walk on the scale. Jonesy stops until you want her to move. Daisy stops sometimes because she's still a little nervous. But we can get weights on them now. We can inspect their you know everything around their whole body now. They shift all through the barn. Great. It's they've come a long way.
1: That's incredible. Very cool. I love I love hearing about animals growing yeah. like that. That's really awesome. Very cool. Um so tell me um what else? What else? What else? Yeah. Let's just okay, keep walking yeah. through the area. Cool. So now we're gonna move over to
0: the black rhinos. Yeah. Um well we have three black rhinos. We have uh Toto. She's our oldest girl. She's right at thirty or a little over thirty years old. Um, she's super sweet. She is like the best rhino you could ever want to learn how to become a rhino keeper with. She's super calm. She doesn't get nervous. If she's nervous, you're doing something wrong. That's the uh, way Maggie, one of our keepers, uh, told me. Like if she if she's if she's worked up, something wrong is, is happening around. And then um, she's uh, thirty years old. She's right around twenty five hundred pounds. Our male, our big male rhino, Travis, knows all. all she he's super smart. He's been trained from other facility. He knows all these different commands. He can line up. He can present his foot. We do you can do blood draws. You can use it with Toto, but he opened his mouth. He does all, all these things everybody else can do, but he just he's really on cue about it. He's great. He's kind of like a little star. And then you go to our youngest rhino, the one is the cutest one. He's, his name is Crockett. He um is he's five years old. But he is a ham. He eats like a machine. He he knows a lot of his commands. Uh, He's adorable. And a lot of young male rhinos will do this. To me, it sounds like a a little whale call when they're not getting enough attention. (laughs) So he'll be in there. "Mm, mm," And then you give attention. Okay, I'm sorry. And we'll do some stuff. And then Travis, who's like 22 years old or maybe a a little older, he will do the same thing. Like, oh, well, Crockett's getting attention. I want attention too. And the rhinos love attention. Love being kind of scratched on or pushed on. They um, are really unique to train with because they're, you know, Maggie is their is their lead trainer, but she uh, will show me different things they they do do, and I'm worked close with her, and it's, it's really cool to see to see them and uh, Toto and Travis and Crockett, but mostly Toto and Crockett, no, Toto and Travis, because Toto has a unique horn she has two horns just like in every uh right uh, all these eastern uh black rhinos are or southern um she has sharpened her horn down to a point like oh. and her horn is it's is, is giant her, her secondary horn is almost as big as her first horn which is really cool but if you leave any kind of can like you use to put on a doll that's how we clean the yards near her stall she'll quiet she has nicknamed a ninja so she'll quietly put her horn through the door pick up just the lip of the can and just, I mean, I don't know how she does. She'll drag it quietly into her door, and then squish it in. And if you don't get it, she'll be like, "What? Oh, what is it?" And she'll just drag it into her stall and then smush it down. That's only happened to me one time when I was first started, because you have you can never have your back to the rhino because they can come through and they're they're not out to get you, but we don't you know you have you always you just have to know your area, right? Of course, yeah. And with her her horns to a point so she can pick up little lips of cans and things like that. <laughs> so it's really cool. I thought that was really funny. And she loves putting her enrichment like she has this old um any kind of sticks or things that she that she chews on. Like we have given Brown. She loves putting it on her head, wearing a little hat. She's just really cool. Really cool rhino. And Travis is the same way. Sleeps with his feet curled up under him like a little kid. <laughs> it's adorable. It's, he's really cool Rhino. Right and Crockett you couldn't. You couldn't get. A, you couldn't get a better set of three three rhinos. Then I learned that area first. Those guys I really connected with because we had a new keeper start right when I started. She was in draft barn. I was in the round of hippo barn. So I really learned those guys in that barn very well.
1: I'm having this this mental image, and it's it's killing me in the best way. It's so cool, but and I you know I know that it was your goal to be a keeper. I get that, but like I'm picturing you one day like mashing up ground beef and like cutting up steaks and and then the next day you're working with rhinos i know that's incredible i i it was weird because i'd be
0: working nutrition and i'm and i'd be like oh my gosh this is so beautiful place it's so awesome and i'm like oh I'm, I'm gonna go back into the back and cut some produce and then I remember the first day at, you know, uh, at, at, in African Savannah, and we went into the rhino thing. I remember being so nervous, I didn't even want to put their food in the stall because I was like, I don't know how they're going to, how they, okay, all right. I remember Maggie and Sean, I was like, oh, just throw it in there. I was like, yeah, just throw it in. Okay. Oh, God. I, okay. Because uh, we had a rounder named Limpopo, and he would kind of crowd the door. He'd be like, Oh, give me, I want my food now. Let's go. I'm like, Go oh, ahead. Hang on. Okay. I was so nervous. I don't want to get. So he would, and he, if you didn't give it to him fast, he'd, he'd knock the bucket up. So I was like, Oh, my gosh. This is, this is, this is, okay. I got this. this is not, now it's like no big deal at all. It was as easy. But no, it was, it was, I had to pinch myself because I was like, This is, this is pretty awesome and anybody you tell what you do they're always like why well, you work where i'm like i know i'm pretty cool
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome yeah i uh i am amazed at at i'm i'm still every day amazed at how many different personalities you know all animals have they're all unique they're all their own thing they're all I don't know why I'm still amazed by it. I've met hundreds of cool animals all across all different kinds of species now, but I never cease to be amazed. Like I said, at like a nervous hippo or mm-hmm. like a stealthy rhino. Yeah. Or like, <laughs> it's, it's it's all just so amazing to hear.
0: It really is. Um, and then the giraffes, you see them all from afar, the and they all look like they're doing the same thing. They're just being, you know, they're out there hanging out in the savannah. Each one of those giraffes have their own unique personality. And I didn't really understand that and see that because I wasn't in that barn for the first, you know, six seven months until I got over there and started working in that area, and seeing a giraffe throw a temper tantrum because she didn't get to go outside with everybody else because she we had we had training she was going to go out but she had we had would be held back for training or we had to hold her back for other things, and she'd be in there stomping around, throwing herself around, backing up and pushing all of her hay over into one
1: corner. I that was that was really unique to, to see. <laughs> Yay, Cranky Giraffe. That's yes. amazing. Yes. That's so cool. Um, Why don't you tell me about just a couple of the giraffes, maybe some of the more standout personalities?
0: Okay, cool. So um, the first one I think of is Walter. Walter is our um, adult male uh, giraffe. He will be here for a long time. He's going to be the one that be our breeding male, our breeding bull. He's really cool because I, I feel like if you're in this savannah feeding lettuce and he's looking at you, I... I I feel like you can say his name and he'll look up and look right at you when you say his name. He's yeah. like, Are you saying my are you saying my name? Walt yes, I'm Walter. Yes, what do you want? And he's such a per old person name. And he he like uh, his characteristic is just like, Oh, but uh, okay, what's going on today? Let's go out and get some food. Like he's so just cool and calm. And just, like, down to, like, hang out. And he's still big now. When he first got there, he was pretty small. He had these little fat rolls on his side because he hasn't grown his height. But now he's much bigger. And his feet look like big dinner plates because they're huge feet. <laughs> and then you have, on the other end of the spectrum, Kala, who is the only one that doesn't really like people as much or, or who doesn't care so much for people. She's the only one that, when, you, when you're when you first training there, like she's the one you have to watch out for. She's uh, taught a couple of her younger giraffe how to knock off their feeder off the wall. She will um, will throw temper tantrum herself, but she's the one that you that will you know if someone's going to come come test you, it's Kala. She's also the biggest and she has the biggest attitude, but she's really really beautiful giraffe. And then we go over to the sweetest one, uh, Amara. She's one of her young giraffes. She's a little over a year old. Her mom is Corey. And she's really cute. She is so so sweet. Like she doesn't get upset by anything. You can you know get close when you open the door. She doesn't. She get nervous and she just shifts so well and um just doesn't. I don't know. not I don't know. She's like a little puppy dog to me. <laughs> she, except she's eight feet tall, but um you know. And then our youngest one, Kuru, who whose mom is Acacia. She came into from the, the San Diego Safari Zoo. Um, she was really nervous when she first came here because she came from a different, uh, more of like a safari type uh, environment. And so it took her a long time to calm down. But now she's really, really come a long way and she wouldn't come inside. So we'd all have to wait quietly in the barn with all the lights off and wait for Acacia to come in. which could take an hour <laughs> or more. And after, we got we got past that. And then she had her calf, Nakuru, who's this adorable little guy. He's, he looks like he had little white socks on his feet when he was first born. He was a little over six feet tall. He was, big, he was a big guy. He would want to come in. But his mom was like, I don't know, we should go in there. Did we come out there earlier? Because I don't remember going this way. <laughs> so it'd take a while and we'd wait and quietly, we'd go up and say, hey, look, come on, oh, no, no browse or branches or food. And, and then she'd be like, let's go inside now. we walk on inside. And then we you know we get different mails. Um, we can't have all the mails there at one time. So we'd send different mails off. we have send some to Japan. we have send some to different areas and things like, things like that. So it's you, giraffe- barn is a really cool barn because you also have the kudu and the springbuck and the other area of the barn but it's on the same kind of close area
1: nice very cool um so i'm curious uh do you have any um do you guys do any conservation work in your area like as far as um either helping out with um stuff in the wild or just you know trying to raise awareness further or anything like that
0: uh, so we do have we do talk about the giraffe's silent extinction, like without like it's everybody talks about elephant extinction, you know, or or, or um, like the big you know or pandas things like that, but they always see giraffes and they go, oh, there must be a lot of these guys in the wild. There's three three boards I can think of that are right, right across from the um gift shop in the safari section. I talk all about it and about how the they're quietly being um, poached for their hide and for their tail uh, fur and become. Some of it are a nuisance to farmers because they're eating their crops, and they're you know their their environments getting encroached like that. So we do always push that. I always try to bring that up when I'm talking to guests, and um, a lot of our um, uh, donors will talk about that too when they come visit the park and things like that. But um, I did get me and another keeper got to do something really unique that's never really been we've been doing it at the zoo, but none of the zookeepers got ever got to see this. So I got voted, and another keeper named Tracy got voted to go to Anagata. To the Caribbean to do work with uh, Kelly, who's been doing work with the rock iguanas in the uh, uh, Caribbean island Anagata. Yeah, so we went over there to help out with this thing called uh, Iguana Fest. Oh, I almost forgot all that. Last October, and it was we didn't just get picked like all oh, we draw hats. People said you there was a thing that said oh if you would like to um, nominate somebody to go, you can write in and nominate somebody and. I, some reason, I got nominated. Wow. I know. And then uh, one of our other keepers, Tracy, who is awesome, she's a swing keeper. She works all over the zoo. We both went. The zoo flew us over to Anagata. Never really done a lot of traveling. I mean, I've been a little bit, but never, you know, traveled all these bags. I had to take all these shirts, and we had all this equipment with us. And just two of us, you know, never really traveled together. Right. Um. Never, we, hung at, we hung out before, but never, like, in a tense flying area. And we got there, and... um. It was the flattest island in the Caribbean. It's uh like elevation is like maybe I don't know I don't know what the elevation, but it's just it's not a very volcanic, not like volcanic. It's just a gorgeous island, and there are endangered species rock iguanas there. And we got to do the um, baby uh, iguana checks. We check for uh, new babies in their different nest sites. We got to help with the iguana fest and all these festivals put together and all this planning. And going there taught me that you can do all the work you want in the world to help save an animal and you can talk about it but the only way it's going to happen is if you get the community where they live to buy in on the process and that's what the whole iguana fest was get people excited and people get kids to learn young kids to learn oh you know because there's a big goat population there people brought in as cows and they stomp the iguana nests cats kill iguanas people would you know would be scared of them they would you know kill them because like oh what well, is a giant iguana running around in the ground i nerve nervous and they may be nervous of them but they had a great um, head start facility where you would find the nest sites get the babies when they first come out of the ground we would you would put them as head start so really you would grow them to a certain size and then release them back in a while and their percentage of surviving goes up greatly
1: right right yeah well, that's it's really, really cool. yeah it's really cool wow how long
0: were you there I was there for I think two weeks over nice. there It's very cool yeah it was really, really cool to see um see Kelly doing and she's been you know doing this thing for years and years and years and you, you hear talk about it, but being there and seeing it and trudging through the sludge and checking these nests and, you know, and the, the sun sun's beating down on you and it, it, you know, seeing everybody working together and getting her, what she does to get everybody, the community together and all the material that comes in on a boat and everybody throwing it and getting it all organized on this little bitty pier was, was a, was a wild time.
1: Nice. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing about that. That's very cool. Um, so we've come to the last two questions, so I'm going to first open up the floor to you. If there's anything you want to talk about, anyone or anything you want to give a shout out to or whatever, go for it.
0: I, I, I just want to say that um, if you ever want to be a zookeeper, if you ever, ever feel like you all, you think you can't do it because you all, I don't know if I have the right experience, you get your internships in, you knock those out, and then you get in somewhere and if you work hard and you get, you do well with groups of people. And you get a little bit of luck on your side. You can almost get anywhere anywhere you want, and you got to take what you can get. So I got lucky, and I got positions off of me in Texas. But people I know, like a lot of people from all over this, all over the U.S., all over the some people all over the world, coming and just trying to get a, just trying to get a position. It's very competitive. Um, I started late. Some people, you know, in the college they would do internships or volunteer work in the summer, um, and because a lot of a lot of uh, universities or sorry, a lot of zoos offer internships just for college students. Only for college students, so it it, it kind of help. It just kind of narrows the field down. Where you can just get you, um, more of a narrow field to get into the zoo would make it a little bit easier. Because they're like, oh, well, I'm mean, you know an interning like that, and that's what I I don't. People always ask me how you know what do you do? How do you do that? And you get to get your get your degree, get your internships, get a little bit of experience, and just start small and just have a goal a goal you want to get to and work hard. And I, that's that's the only thing I got about that.
1: Awesome. And then it's time for the Rossafari poop story. Oh, yeah. So I have two poop stories, okay? Great. One yeah. happened to me and one
0: did not happen to me. Yeah, hit me. Okay, so uh, one of the keepers in the, our area, his name is Mark. Um, his nickname is Serengeti Suave because he's really, he's really well-dressed. He's always clean, always does his hair. He's probably going to hate me for this, but he's got a really – he's just a really good-looking, nice – always
1: smells nice. Um <laughs> And when he to be fair, you're comparing him to like rhinos and hippos, so I don't know if smelling nice really counts.
0: Well, I mean after <laughs> after one day of these jackets in the rhino barn, it's you smell like a rhino. So he was um, chipping hay. So we have chip hay for Toto. She gets alfalfa, which is a type of browse uh, hay. We chip it because it's easier on her teeth because she's a little bit older, and we have to dump these bins hippo bins. All the poop gets picked up by the filters, and we have to dump it into the bin. This big uh, bin rub. By, by the chipper. So Mark is chipping hay like we always do. We're dumping bins like we always do. And the bins before we had everything, the way its system was working, the bins would fill up with water. And you could drain the water out of the bin. Or you, or you could just dump it into the, into the big hopper and that would drain out. Um, so Kurt, our curator, and one other guy has the hopper up. You pull a pin and this bin literally just rocks forward and all the poop comes out into the hopper below uh, well, there's a lot of water in this hopper, and the bin, the hop, the bin that the hopper was jumping into was empty. So there's no hay or anything to catch anything. So they pull the pin. Here comes the bin, dumps into the dumps into the hopper on the on the bottom, hits it, tidal wave up, out, covers Mark, covers the to Chipper, Chipper sucks up hippo poop, everything. <laughs> and remind me, this is a clean man. He does not like getting really dirty. He just gets, I mean, just cascade, just. Choosh. And I didn't really understand how bad it was until I went to clean out the chipper. And the next day there was there was stuff everywhere. So I had to wash everything, take every disinfect everything. Uh, that was when I first I was like, That that's that's bad. I'm sorry, Mark. I feel bad for you. And then the other one, real quick, was the first day I ever got into the hippo pool. Um, I had been di- doing a lot of diving in small areas co- close with poop on the ground. Other diver, head diver Robin, was up she was like vertical in the water her feet up above her i was like "Why is she doing that's we she have a problem with her weight belt or something no she was keeping her fins up so when she kicks there's no thing to get stirred up well i'm pro kicker now but before i went in i was like, okay i did a did a loop came in turned around with my little thing turned around dumped it came back just just poop everywhere <laughs> and i had to go back in there oh. and the visibility was you know it was i don't know two two feet in front of you and I'm just scooping poop and I'm just swimming through it and I'm like don't open your mouth <laughs> and that it was never been that bad but it was you know it was months of stuff in there but now I was thinking yep I'm in it now this is this is what I'm doing I'm swimming in poop
1: <laughs> amazing thank you so much for taking the time to do this I really appreciate it hey man thank you thank you for letting me talk <laughs> As Neil mentioned in the interview, he is a photographer and does some really cool photography work. You can check him out on Instagram at ncsjones or go to neiljonesphotography.com to see his images. Of course, you can also check out the Fort Worth at Fort Worth Zoo on Insta, and you can find them online at fortworthzoo.org. I'm really looking forward to bringing you two more episodes from there. And until then, well, here's a familiar sound in an unfamiliar year. Well, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed making it. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan Burke and John Rossi. Listen and subscribe on any podcast app. Please take the time to leave a review as it helps other people find our podcast. You can find Rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rossafari, on the web at rossafari.com, or email me directly at RossafariPod@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.